Hi, I'm Ellen Siegel, and today I'm talking with Janine Vague of Transformative Psychotherapy. So relax into your openness and enjoy this enlightening conversation. Hi, welcome back. This is Ellen Siegel and Janine Vague. Yes, and we're uh, uh, psychotherapist counselors in the Columbus, Ohio area. We hope that you've been watching some of the other, others of these enlightening conversations and we invite you to view this and listen as if you're in the conversation with us. And there's nothing formal about this. It's based on our experience and our training and our awareness. And you have uh, experience and awareness too. And today our topic is rituals. And Janine, did you, you have a quote, right? Today? Yes. Um, I'd like to start with a quote to um, get our conversation going, uh, if I can find it. Um, okay, so this quote is from a British author, Alexander McCall Smith. And he says, Ritual is a terribly important binding cement in a society. If we abandon formality and rituals, we're actually weakening the relationships that exist between people that bind. And so I brought this up today because part of the things we're going to be talking about in discussing ritual are going to be topics such the different types of rituals, such as spiritual rituals, religious rituals, marriage, having children, death, sacred events in the family or in couples, and even things such as beauty rituals. Um, and so Ellen wanted me to kind of step aside so that you could see what's behind me so that nobody um, has any confusion about what my background, Zoom background is. So um, here so you can... Go ahead, Helen. No, oh, so this is an altar, which when Janine's sitting in front of it, we really couldn't appreciate its depth and its richness. And those are some words that I would associate with ritual. And so thank you, Janine. Oh, and I see, is that a smudge stick in the... Um, There's the a smudge stick, a candle. Um, this looks to me like a, a journal for writing something right. in. Um, you've got different kinds of herbs and plants over here on the, on the altar and um, probably a jar of some sort of um, thing that's significant to that person. And back here is another book, which um, is a um, sacred book in the Wiccan, um, in the Wiccan, culture, faith, whatever you want to call it, whatever, how you want to say it, religion. Um, there's different ways of saying it. And, um, and so a lot of mystery that is, surrounds the Wiccan and pagan um, religions. And so um, that's why I'm not necessarily going to name it because it is, you know, there's a lot of mystery with that. And a lot of people get scared when they think about things that are mysterious, such as the Masons, uh, Wicca, paganism. But the interesting thing that I wanna highlight today is that every single religion has ritual. 
the Catholics have rituals. Every, I mean, I remember my first time to go to Catholic church with my girlfriend and the priest walking up and down the pews with the incense. That's a ritual right there. All the ways that they um, do a church service in the Catholic church is a ritual because they do the same thing over and over again, which denotes a ritual. And Jewish people have rituals and the bar mitzvah, the bat mitzvah, reading the Torah, the way they sit in the church, the way they read the, the, um, the books, um, Buddhists with the butsadan, um, the box that they sit, put on their altar, and they have the, um, forget what you call it, the thing that they put between their fingers to do the chanting with. Um, that's a ritual there. Um, Christian church, you've got the communion um, that comes certain times of the year. So it's not every, every holiday, every, every holiday. holiday. Yeah. Every observance that's repeated. And I think that's a great point that you brought up the repetition, yes. repetition of something. And, <laughs> and a person who may not um, subscribe to any particular religion has has their own rituals about life and how they live each day and things that they do exactly beauty rituals when mm -hmm. we get up in the morning we all follow a routine when you take your makeup off when you put your makeup on when you take a shower blah 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 health, health rituals brush your teeth yes uh showering like you said um taking vitamins when you take your vitamins. Great. So um, we talked a little bit before we started to record about the various types of rituals and the, the term sacred came up. Yeah. So, you know, uh, you might not think that your routine is sacred. Uh, you might not have an association to that term. Yet you might enjoy a sunset or the sunrise or the way the sunlight in the afternoon hits the, the leaves or the, the, or the way the clouds are. So that, that there can be sacredness um, infusing lots of different activities. Mm -hmm. So I have, I have a meditation practice and that's a ritual. And I've looked to establish that because I had been convinced by things that I read about the benefits of that. Oh, yeah. And the, um, the routine, routinizing of it. And so it's become a ritual, which exactly. adds meaning. That was the other thing about meaning. Sometimes people are seeking meaning in life. And they can look to certain things that they appreciate in life that they do repeatedly. Yeah. Can you say, can you say something, Ellen, about how doing this med meditation ritual, how it um, helps you to have a better life? Well, yes. I... Uh, Under the umbrella of meditation is 
implied becoming calm, uh, toning down the monkey mind, the mind chatter. In uh, Paramahansa Yogananda's style of meditation, he calls it scientific meditation. And I really like that because in his teachings, he gives the meanings, how breathing, not all, how, how the calming breathing actually oxygenates your blood and removes carbon dioxide from it. So it actually has a physical uh, component to it. And there have been studies on uh, people's blood pressure and anxiety and things like that that are calmed through cultivating a practice of meditation. There's the idea also that the rest that your body experiences when you're meditating has an even more compelling, rejuvenating uh, benefit than even sleep at night. So there's lots of things uh, people can research about that. Mm -hmm. um, I've really embraced it as a, um, as a sacred ritual. And it's my own personal one because I'm not in my circle in the household I live. I'm the only one who does that. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Thanks for explaining that because I think that's really important. And you did such a good job of talking about how meditation can be valuable um, to your life um, and that it can be valuable to other people. I try to mention um, to my clients all the time um, the benefits of using meditation um, in their life and how it's going to, if you don't want to take medication, okay, you got to do something. And, uh, and meditation is the best thing for anxiety, I think. I think it's the best meditation, medication. <laughs> <laughs> One more thing to say about that is that the, the calm that you cultivate and you want to watch out for impatience mm -hmm. that it's not created overnight, it's a cultivated practice, mm -hmm. that that calm as you experience it during meditation, then it travels with you to other situations so that you can become calm and make clear decisions when previously you might've been triggered emotionally and knocked off your center and had some bewilderment or confusion about decision-making and things like that. And after a while, you can consciously bring yourself to that calm whenever you want it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so thank you for adding that on. Um, so we're talking about ritual today. And um, I think what, uh, what's also very important in ritual is to talk about how uh, we've lost a lot of ritual in our society and in our communities. Um, that you can see still being practiced in the indigenous cultures around the world. And, um, and I think um, the, what speaks to me the most is the marriage ritual and the women's rituals, not just marriage, but the women's rituals, such as um, women gathering together and being there to support each other during the mens menses, um, 
and uh, once a month and being there to support one another during menopause, uh, being there as a, as a group when the woman is giving birth and all the women are in the room uh, as midwives, if you will, um, and family, just being there to welcome that child into the world. And now the child is brought into the world in a, in a, um, in a doctor's room, in a delivery room, and with lots of strangers. Um, so, so those are the kind of things that those women's rituals, I think, um, just are so sorely missed because it's, it's what um, helped us to feel stronger as a woman, I think, mm -hmm. and feel that we weren't alone when we were going through the cramping of, of the, the monthly cycle or um, going through the craziness of menopause or the pain of childbirth, having those women near and dear to you that were holding your hand and were you know, telling you how to breathe and we're um, talking with you, talking you through it, how much I would love to have that in our society. That reminds me, um, it's sort of related that years ago, I learned that in the native uh, cultures, um, that that monthly event for women is a very high spiritual yes. uh, time. And so when women would gather together and actually living in a community, close community, I heard that even the menstrual cycles got synced up together. Yes. And so uh, women could gather and really uh, create healing uh, for themselves and others, uh, support, um, bring about things that they wanted to bring about energetically. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, isn't it true that women are more, there's more of a psychic connection during these times? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because often that's why women have been so feared in society mm. was because of that psychic connection that they have um, during the, the different sacred moments in a woman's mm -hmm. uh, life. Mm -hmm. so. uh, and that, uh, that reminds me of um, something else we talked about was coming of age rituals. Yes. So like a woman, you know, a, a young girl and then having her menses start. Mm -hmm. um, and that we were talking about for boys uh, reaching manhood, certainly in the Jewish faith is the bar mitzvah. Yes. At age 13 in uh, native cultures and all cultures when we were, uh, hunters and gatherers, mm -hmm. you know, uh, boy children were trained and then they were ready to go out and, you know, kill Did them. Yeah, being allowed to be with the men mm -hmm. when they went to go gather the food. Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. so that whole idea of going from being a little boy 
to being given a spear uh, mm-hmm. or being given a rifle and, um, and being taught that now you get to be one of us. You get to come with us and, you know, ride horseback or get on the canoe and get and out handle there. The, and ha- start to handle that responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not like they just handed them a spear. Yeah. I mean, there would have been a ritual that would have been done to say, um, this boy is now going to be called a man. And this boy is now going to be bringing food into our tribe. And Mm -hmm. uh, we need to look at him and recognize him as a man now. Mm -hmm. Um, So those kind of things are so sorely missed in the community. And it gets brought up a lot in the inner city when I was working in Oakland, California. They had the Oakland Men's Project. Uh, which was where boys were brought together and they would learn about some sort of topic and then they'd play basketball. Um, And so it was kind of like, you know, we're going to have fun, but first we're going to do this because it's important to bring you together, keep you off the streets, have you doing something positive. Um, But they were always talking about that. The young men needed some kind of some kind of ritual, um, but young women do, too. Because young women easily get absorbed into gangs, just like boys do. Um, In fact, they even have girl gangs. Mm -hmm. Uh, But also to keep them from being and not having respect for themselves so that they end up looking for a boy to respect them Mm -hmm. and to end up getting pregnant and things like that. Um, I was a part of a women's group in California called Girls for a Change, which I absolutely loved um, because in that group, we would work with young women and each year we would create, the girls would decide on what the project was going to be for the year, the school year, and whatever that project was going to be, then the whole year was spent preparing for it and then they would deliver the project to the community in one way, shape, or form, depending on what it was. So the lovely part about that was when we would gather together as a big conference, um, you did not see pregnant girls. Um, You didn't see girls doing gang signs. Um, There was no indication that that was even going on because these young girls were given a, um, a resource, a place to gather with other women and to be considered as intelligent, um, smart young ladies that could come up with really important ideas that were going to change their community. So they had respect for themselves and they weren't turning to boys the way they used to. Um, And they weren't turning to gangs or drugs or alcohol because they had a a reason for being. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So... Um, yeah, so I've seen things like that in action and how it really turns people's lives, children's lives around. So that's why I think mentoring programs are great. Or, you know, if someone um, has an opportunity to apprentice uh, with yeah. someone who's has expertise and sort of, uh, and then becomes uh, skilled enough Exactly. To be to become a, a practitioner or craftsman, craftswoman in that particular area. Yeah, and we and so um, we were talking about that off camera about the apprenticeship 
and how valuable that was to a young person. Um, because it was a, a way, it was sort of a ritual coming of age moment for a young person to apprentice a skilled laborer. And when that skilled laborer, it's no different than somebody um, being ready to hand, be handed the spear or the, the uh, rifle. And with the apprenticeship, they would be working with a highly skilled master craftsman and would be learning that trade. And then that day would come when the master craftsman would come to them and say, okay, Johnny, you have really showed me your, your true worth and your value for this company. And I'm ready to give you the apron. I'm ready to give you the tools and you're ready to be the man here and, and take over this job and, and, and be next to me as my assistant, no longer my apprentice. What a, what a wonderful um, contribution to make to a person's life. To, to feel that sense of pride that, you know, oh, I've stepped up, mm -hmm. I'm a man now, mm -hmm. um, or a woman. So then uh, the other thing we were talking about was it appears, um, you know, I, I never, I always think that there's more than what appears. And nevertheless, it appears that there's less of that in our society. Exactly. Today. Yeah. You know, uh, college is a great thing if you can afford to go. Mm -hmm. You can't afford to go, you know, um, and college is not for everyone. And if you can get into a job where you can apprentice and, you know, even if you have a mentor who can help you learn and then find what's the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Right. Um, Cause I think it's more on the individual mm -hmm. um, rather than being incorporated into um, apprenticeship. And sometimes uh, what people would have done would they would have sought out these um, apprenticeships on their own. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've heard people from my generation talking about how um, I remember an ex-boyfriend wanted to be in the radio business. And so he just went to radio stations, uh, to a radio station and volunteered to clean up the radio station just mm -hmm. so he could learn the behind the scenes before he finally became a disc jockey um, and ended up on television um, as a journalist one day. Um, but so it's like, it's like things like that. It was also that seeking out because that was that first step in, um, in getting that position was putting yourself out there and introducing yourself to the, the man who ran the general store or the man who ran the printing press or what have you. Um, and just say, you know, I, I've, I've always been interested in doing, learning about what you do, or I want to make some extra money um, for my family or what, whatever, and just going in there and mm. putting that, F, putting that initiative into it. Right. To start it, to start it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So these are rituals. These are rituals. A lot of times people think ritual is what I have behind me, but far from it. Rituals are things that happen every single day in our society, one way or another, whether it's um, your personal ritual, your spiritual religious ritual, or your family ritual, or your relationship ritual, 
you are doing something every single day in your life that is a ritual. The other thing that um, we also brought up is uh, sometimes people have a negative association to the word ritual mm -hmm. because there have been abuses um, in the name of ritual. Exactly. And um, so we're not talking about those and it's always wise to keep your wits about you. Um, Trust your instincts. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And any uh-oh feelings that you have inside. Yeah. But, and I'm saying trust your instincts, but I also want to um, touch base on the fact that little children don't have choices when they are become victims of mm -hmm. different types of cult rituals. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm not trying to put any blame out there um, because I know there are certainly a lot of people who can say, you know, well, I was only five years old or something. Um, so, so yes, we, we also want to highlight in this discussion about ritual that there are negative connotations that can be associated with it, but like with anything else in life, um, there is bad and there is good. And, oft, and generally speaking, when these bad things happen, there is often, it's often a cult um, that is uh, producing these types of bad ritual type activities where they are taking advantage of people. So whenever I'm talking about spirituality and ritual and religion, I am never thinking, I'm never uh, talking about occult um, status or that I'm saying that that's a great thing that should be done. Um, so we just wanted to point that out too, to people who are victims of situations mm -hmm. like this or survivors of situations mm -hmm. like this. Right. This conversation is about the positive and the well-meaning and the wonderful and how it changes your life. Uh, the other thing I'm thinking about is um, for people who are parents, let's say young parents, to think in terms of that the patterns of your life uh, with your youngster are creating certainly memories for them and uh, rituals. I remember our son, he loved this. I don't know, we were just habituated. We went to a particular efficiency motel uh, by the beach every year. Mm -hmm. And and I guess I was surprised when he uh, became engaged, he couldn't wait to take his fiance to show her uh. where he had spent summer after summer. And you know, to us, it was a low cost place. It got us to the beach, it had a kitchen. It was easy to do with a baby, a youngster. Uh -huh. For him, it was a huge ritual. Uh -huh. that in some ways he looks to duplicate for himself and his family in their way. Yeah. So that sounds beautiful. I know that's what's um, sad for me is all the rituals that I grew up with that no longer exist because the, um, 
uh, and what I'm thinking about, about in particular is the Hungarian church that I was involved in. And uh, we had a Hungarian picnic every year where hundreds of people would come and dancing the chadash and having the sausages and the cabbage rolls and a little drinking. Um, and, uh, but so it's like, it's sad that those kind of things don't really exist anymore. So it's not something I can pass down to other family members. They still have a little festival every year, but it's a far cry from the several hundred people that used to wow. show up wow. and, uh, for, the, for the picnic every year that was also outdoors. Now it's in a basement. Mm -hmm. So you get about a hundred people <laughs> if you're lucky. But um, so it's, it's things like that. But also going to my Nana's house um, that was on top of a, a very, a top of a hill in the Appalachian foothills mm -hmm. and um, going to her house. And then there was this path that us children knew about that took us in deep into the forest. And there was a swing out there that somebody had at one time or another um, tied to, the, to a, a very sturdy branch. And um, we would be crazy enough to grab onto it and swing out. And we probably went about a hundred feet in the air. I kid you not. And um, if any of us would have let go and fall and um, we've been dead, but um, we didn't have any clue that that was the case. Um, and thank God that rope lasted all those years that we were growing up and traveling up to the forest. Um, but so it's like things like that, that, you know, well, Nana and, 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 da and Dobby, they've died now. So um, many years ago. So it's not something I can take my grandchildren because then I'd be at somebody else's house. And I'm sure they're not going to let me traipse through their backyard to show my grandchildren the, the forest we used to climb through. <laughs> Um, but, um, yeah, so that's the thing. I think that's why I love history so much because of those rituals that I'm so fond of and that I love sharing with people, um, and talking about it in history. Um, so the other thing I'm now thinking about is in, in the, um, psychotherapy and coaching practice that I have, that there's, um, and also do some hypnotherapy, that in, in some of the processes, we're actually, when a person is ready to let go of something, mm. sometimes it's for somebody, it's writing it on paper and ripping it up. Someone else, it's writing it on paper and putting it in like what used to be a coffee can and putting a, a match in <laughs> a, a barbecue. Um, there's a ritual, a Jewish ritual on Yom Kippur, which is the day of atonement uh, in the fall, sacred day, where, um, and I think it's not just the very, or it's an Orthodox mm -hmm. um, ritual adopted by less Orthodox Jews also, where you cast your um, transgressions, the things you want to let go of, onto a lake. You cast it, you go to a, a lake or a body of water, and you actually cast it out. Um, uh, a, another one is, I might say, to a client who lives near a beach, write something in the sand and mm -hmm. watch the wave come in and wash it out. 
Mm-hmm. Another one I'm thinking about in a hypnotherapy session where I might say, so after that person's done some work, so are you, you know, are you ready to let go of that? Mm-hmm. And then in our imagination, we create a column of light above the person's head and say, okay, let that energy or thing, or sometimes it's an attachment to a person who's passed on, uh, let that attachment flow up into that column of golden light. And, and I ask the person, so how's it going? And they say, well, it's going up, it's going up. And I'd say, so to what percentage is left? And they might say 2%, 5%. Or they'll say, oh, it's, all, it's already gone. So that is a ritual. It's a ritual practice in letting go. So, you know, there's all different. Different ways, ways. Yeah, of doing that. I, I love that. That sounds so wonderful to be a part of that experience. Oh, great. Um, yeah. So, um, so, yeah, there are different things. Uh, rituals are things that you can do to not only to uh, develop higher consciousness, such as doing meditation or contemplative prayer, um, uh, but also um, having feeling like you have some control in letting go of something by um, writing it down on paper and then burning it. Um, and, um, and, and, um, and, and making some kind of a ritual about it. So speaking of letting go of things, I think it's important to talk about death and the rituals that surround death, mm-hmm. um, because that's, that's also very sorely being missed in our communities. Mm-hmm. Um, there are death doulas now that are trying to bring mm-hmm. them back. Um, that I've been hearing about, but um, the death rituals were a way of bringing the community together to honor mm-hmm. that person's life and their passing. And, but I also see the death rituals that were a way of people not having so much fear. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Because so many people have a lot of fear about we're going to die someday and the end of the world or whatever. And there's a lot of fear about that. And when you come together for a funeral ritual, you're with that community. So you're not alone. And then that person and, and being in that community, then you know, oh, well, one day when I die, this community is going to be here and they're going to help me to pass over into the other life, which is, you know, hospice. They're there to help the family. When somebody is dying of a terminal illness, they're there to help the family um, to, as that person passes over. Um, And I I think that's so beautiful, the hospice program. Mm-hmm. I've, I've heard so many, my clients have told me so many positive things um, about that. They even have, uh, when someone de- has, when it's a death by suicide situation, they've even got volunteers. I, I had a, uh, somebody tell me about that one time that um, as a volunteer, they would go out um, to the home and be there for the family. Um, oh, something of that nature would happen just to talk to them. Not necessarily therapists, but trained advocates who would um, 
go out there and volunteer their time for these people? Um, it reminds me of, uh, so people who are associated with some churches and temples and religious communities uh, have that kind of a community available often. Um, and then, um, then there are many people who are spiritual and not affiliated with any um, house of worship type of a thing. Mm -hmm. And so uh, may not have a community of people exactly. available. Yeah, to have that final ritual. Yeah. And, um, and then I think about uh, people who are alone, who may not have any family or friends. I think about that often. I, I do too. A lot of people who are alone in that way. Yeah. And that's very sad. And speaking of which, um, that was one of the things that bothered me so much about the pandemic was all those people whose lives taken away one way or another and had no one there in the end. Yeah. I was, that just affected me so much more than anything else, but also my clients that have come in to cry in front of me because they were unable to be next to their loved one when they died. Um, and, and just that the, the, the um, how, tragic it was for them to imagine their loved one being oh. there all alone. Uh, my God, how could you get a virus from a, a person who's dying, you know? And, and if the, you know, my feeling is if the nurses and doctors can be dressed up in a uniform to prevent from getting, why can't the family? Right. Um, yeah. I actually have a friend, a friend of our family actually did fight to do that. And so she refused to leave her husband alone. Not only was he dying, but he had dementia and he was in the late stages of dementia. So what did she, was she able to stay? Yeah, she fought to be in that room um, day in and day out and sang him songs and prayed with him and all kinds of things. And so oh, I just want to take a moment here for anybody who's listening, just in case we find ourselves in a situation like that again, that we learn from this person that Janine has been bringing up, that um, it's worth advocating and even to get a group of people to advocate because there may not need to be inhumanity. Yes, there's a problem. Yes, there's a virus. Yes, it's contagious and common sense, if the doctors can dress up and have the bravery to do that, how about, and, and you want to do that, not to take no for an answer. Yeah, yeah. Whether it's about your own health or your loved one yeah. or a situation. I think lots of times, um, uh, parents are afraid even to advocate for their children in school, yeah. the teacher or principal. You know, it um, goes back to, I guess, early in our studies and years ago, authority issues. If you have an authority issue, you might buckle and cower or your weakness is brought up when somebody is exerting authority over you. 
So mm-hmm. it's an opportunity to muster the truth of who you are, mm-hmm. to stand up for what you know is the right thing, mm-hmm. the fitting thing. Yeah. Um, Exactly. Just because it's inconvenient for someone else, you know, and. Yeah. And speaking of which, I don't even know what happened to women giving birth, whether their husbands were allowed to be in the room or the fathers. Um, but um, so it just it, the, it really destroyed so many um, cultural practices, um, so many rituals that were going on. But you even mentioned, Ellen, the masks and what was lost. Right. Uh, just that, just the, um, and we took it for granted. Yeah, yeah, lots of people don't walk around smiling at each other. They're in a trance or miserable. Okay. And then there are many people who catch someone else's eye and smile no matter what. Yeah. And with a mask on. It cut all that. that out. It yeah. out a, such a simple way of connecting. Yes. And feeling loved by the day. I mean, just the, I, I couldn't even understand people when they had masks on. I right. couldn't understand right. half of what they were saying. And I'd, constant, I'd constantly have people have to go like that so that I yes. could hear yeah. them because I have hearing problems. And so when somebody's speaking muffled, I don't understand what they're saying. All I hear is blah, blah, blah you know? Right. So, so many times I had to say to people, what? Um, but I'll tell you what, the other day I had the most beautiful experience. Um, these little children were riding their bikes on the sidewalk near my gym that I go to. And, um, and it was Mother's Day. And this little girl looks at me and she says, happy Mother's Day. And I was just like, wow. 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 I mean, she doesn't even know me. And then the little boy next to her decided to repeat it, probably because he felt obligated. Um, How sweet. Keeping up with your peers. But it, it just made my day. And, and, and it was just like, wow, that's, I don't even know these children. And yet how lovely that they honored me as a woman and, um, and honored me as a, as a human being. But if she would have said that with a mask on, I wouldn't have, I would have been like, what, you know, and, uh, or maybe I would have thought she didn't say something nice. I don't know, but it was just, uh, so much was lost, but, you know, speaking of which I have, I've listened to people who read, um, read lips. Oh, that's another issue. And they were not able to communicate with people because people were like looking at them rudely or something. And, and it's like, you know, how are they going to say I'm deaf? I, I need to read your lips when, you know, sometimes people who are deaf don't even, don't speak even. Um, so, I mean, just so many things that were lost. Um, and, and it created a new ritual, which to me was a bad ritual, but that's just my opinion, obviously. But, um, but yeah, I think it created a, a, it created a fearful ritual it created a lot of fear in our society. And, um, and so that was a ritual that I'm hoping, like what always happens in history, is that a few years from now, when we look back, people are going to recognize that was not okay. And they're going to see the, the truth in all of this. I'm hoping. 
Mm -hmm. I'm hoping, but um, I also realize that I could be the one that's wrong. Uh, as as you know, I'm I'm always willing to admit that I don't know everything. But I'm hoping in this case we're going to learn from this situation, mm. this negative ritual. Yeah, I think um, I think awareness is key, and definitely, and the humility that you're expressing yeah. to know that uh, I don't have to be right um and i might be and that other people that's why uh having different views voiced is really important yes and so like we talked know. about critical thinking in our other video mm -hmm. having critical thought um and and even like with ritual maybe the ritual is not the right ritual for you Maybe you're, you know, I've known people, <clears throat> I've been involved in initiations um, kind of situations and, um, and something as harmless as an initiation uh, going from, uh, what was it? What was in our, um, our graduating class was going to um, a counseling center. And we had this initiation that was put together for new psychotherapists coming to do their practicum but a couple of people got scared because they didn't really know they were afraid of what was going to happen and, and that sort of thing. So, and that's, that's their prerogative. Um, but it actually was something very harmless and beautiful, but you know, if people have a, a, if people have been a victim or a survivor of some sort of negative cult practice or, or a ritual, they're going to be afraid of things like this. Yeah. Yes. But um, I find those kind of activities to be beautiful. Um, but I, I remember all the way back um, the first time I recall being involved in a in a sacred ritual was in Girl Scouts. I was just thinking. Oh, that. Did you? Yes. And, yeah, going from brownies to girls. I was just thinking about that bridge that you walked and over. It still gives me goosebumps. Oh. And that there, there was a mirror on the floor, like a lake they had. Oh, yeah, I do remember something that was like a lake. And you walked over that bridge. And as you were walking over that bridge, you were becoming um, older, older girls that were now going to be representing the Girl Scouts. That's, that's right. Yeah. And you knew that you were, um, you were like, being recognized. Oh, it was a big deal. Oh, my God. It was, it was like so a big deal. Even, even becoming a brownie. Yeah. I mean, there was this, there were songs. Yeah, um, it's pretty funny because I think I think I shared this with you that my brownie troop. We some people we still get together, and when we first got together, because one of the women in this gathering, her mother was one of the leaders, and at that time the mom was still alive. She was in Florida, and we spoke to her on the phone, oh. and we all sang. I mean, oh. I didn't remember the words until the others remembered the words. Then I remembered the words for some Girl Scout song. Yes. So weird. Then I, I know. Then the other thing was we were staying at one of the women's homes this first time we got together. And she had arranged some activities for us just as women to spend a weekend. And one was we went to, she had a yoga she took yoga and we went to this yoga studio and um, 
and it was a rainy day and to, and it was a freestanding sort of gazebo shape type it was a closed building though and we walked this was so bizarre from the parking lot you'll know what this means we walked in single file it was a rainy day a fall day on leaves <laughs> <laughs> and as we're walking, I'm going, oh, this is very creepy because how many times did we go on nature walks and, you know, and it was raining and we hear the leaves on our shoes. And then the other thing was we sit, we go into this place and the teacher has us sit in a circle on the floor. I mean, which we did in third grade and it was very eerie. So those things were rituals. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, and it was a coming of age moment um, as a young girl going from brownies to Girl Scouts. Mm -hmm. I remember those songs too, including um, Hungarian Bible School. And mm -hmm. I, I can sing, I was singing the songs one year um, when I got together with my brother and, and he was like, how do you remember all these? And it's like, because it was uh, by what, what do you see when you sing it over and over again, you're going to, it's going to stick in your brain. Um, and uh, I still remember some of the Girl Scout songs that we sang in camp and, um, you know, on my honor, I will try to do my best to be <laughs> unto God in my country, okay? the Girl Scout laws. Yes. Um, so, oh, Janine. <laughs> I just love saying that because I felt, I felt like such a, um, um, a grown up by saying that, that uh, creed that Girl Scout creed, but also we were taught that we were ambassadors, that when we wore our uniform and represented the Girl Scouts in community, wherever we went, that we were ambassadors to the Girl Scouts of America. So I took that so literally, oh my gosh. I mean, I, I felt- Children, children do take things literally, yes. and that's yes. a wonderful thing for adults to support kids mm -hmm. in knowing that. Exactly. And support them in, um, because I know uh, the Girl Scouts was highly revered in our family. So, um, so you had that uh, combination of hearing it from the leader and then your mom also, um, uh, you know, kind of supporting you in that at home. You know, going home and saying, Mom, I, I need to study for these badges. And then she would support me in getting those badges. And then they'd be sewn on the, the sash and whatever. And just how that the family brought this all together. Um, there's a study that was done when I used to work for Head Start in, um, in Berkeley in the late 90s. There was a study that was brought to us um, from, I think it came from Berkeley. Uh, University of Berkeley, or I think that's how you say it. No, California, California State University of Berkeley, something along those lines. Um, I didn't go there, but um, so they brought us this study that was done for heads done on the Head Start families, not at our facility, but um, wherever they did it. And what it showed was that families, uh, well, it showed firstly that children who had belonged to the Head Start program had a, um, it had such an impact on them going through school mm. to have that Head Start. But it also was showing that um, when families stayed involved with their children's 
um, um, schooling, going to PTA, being a room mother, being involved with Girl Scouts, all that sort of thing. When the parents stayed involved, the children's likelihood of staying in school until 18 mm -hmm. was more likely to happen. It was mm -hmm. more stronger. So that family ritual of being involved one way or another, supporting their children in school, finding school to be uh, of purpose and value, it assured that the child was not going to drop out. Mm. So I, I love that study. Um, I wish I could have kept it and mm -hmm. so that I could have it for today to pass out to people. But um, just telling people, I guess, is enough too. Mm -hmm. That it is, that that, that is, that, that ritual is important for young people. Um, thinking about other, um, I had a religious training also in Reform Judaism. And I really didn't like that my parents pressed me to participate, but secretly I loved it. Yeah. And the dancing and the songs and the, you know, the prayers. And, and I, it was interesting when they told me I didn't have to go anymore because I put up quite a fuss. As soon as they told me I didn't have to go anymore, then I wanted to go. Uh-huh. Little paradoxical child. And um, so, and then there was a confirmation, which was at age 15 or 13, 14. And we, there weren't that many of us, maybe there were 10 or 12 of us and they allowed us to run the service on Friday night. So we got to plan the service. I did that too. You did? Yes. Oh, I can't believe we have even these things. I, the more we talk, the more we have in common. It's so yeah. interesting. I love it. So and I encourage who's ever watching this, start conversations, meaningful conversations with people you know or people you know a little bit. And the more you share, the more you find that there's a connection. So, yeah. Um, yeah, the, uh, we had Youth Sunday. And Youth Sunday, the president of Youth Fellowship would do the sermon. Mm. And that was me one year. Aww. And um, can you guess what I talked about? I'm not sure. What? <laughs> My sermon was women in the Bible. Oh, how great is that? Yeah. But what's amazing, and this is that time period, I don't know if they would, I guess it makes sense that they did this. But before I could deliver the sermon, I had to take it to the elders to have them read it, to make sure that they would approve it. Mm. It kind of bothered me later on because I thought, why did I have to do that? But then in thinking about it now. Well, how old were you when you delivered it? Oh, my goodness. Um, 15 or 16. Yeah, that's how I adults say. I mean, I, I, I guess it, it, it frustrated me for a while. But then I began to realize it does make sense because, one, you don't want some kid getting up there saying a bunch of craziness. Um, that that has nothing to do with the Bible. Um, and you didn't want somebody getting up there um, with a speech that wasn't very well written. So, you know, maybe they'd want to edit it or something. So uh, Plus they were in charge. Yes. Yeah, the exactly. adults were running the church. Or exactly. And you have to respect that. You know, I mean, you, you had to respect that. 
there's nothing wrong with having respect. That's a ritual in itself is um, respecting your elders. Mm -hmm. Um, So now after all this time, people can see I'm not naked. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I was purposely doing that um, just for fun. Now your straps are showing because sometimes people aren't paying attention to that. Um, Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I thought you meant other straps. Anyway. Um, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, so that's interesting that we both delivered sermons in our church, um, in your temple, and in your in your case, we're so great. It meant so um, much to be to um, take that position of running the service. Oh yeah, and um, it meant a lot. You know, and I think the gift from the congregation was a Bible, which I have and have yep. cherished. Had a white cover with like yep. old print. Did you yep. guys have that too? Yeah. Oh, wow. yeah. I still have it. Just- uh, unfortunately, um, I had a cat that took advantage of mine. Aww. And it, it made me so upset because I had that for at least 10 or 15 years before the Mm. I had a cat destroy it. Um, actually, it probably wasn't even that long that I owned it. Um, but I, I think I probably cried when I saw that. Um, came home one day and saw that. Um, but you know, I in, in in this case, I think also it was a um, a message from God, and um, so I think that uh, it was a message to me that I didn't get at the time, mm. but now I do get it. Um, but uh, so I, I think there can also be rituals from above that are given to us, uh, tests or reminders or, or um, some sort of messages that are given to us that it's like, this is something you need to pay more attention to and you're not. Well, I'm thinking uh, from that, from my own experience, attachment to rituals and yes. sometimes rituals need to change or are broken. And that then we get to see what it meant to us. Exactly. Yeah. When, um, when the ritual, well, that's what I was talking about earlier with the Hungarian community, right. that the rituals ended, began to end because with culture, when people come over from the old countries, um, it gets watered down as um, the different generations um, and I think that's what's really sad because we lose that sense of pride in our um, community when the rituals are watered down. We lose the ability to speak the language, the, um, the ability to appreciate mm. uh, what our families went through to come to this country, mm. uh, especially <clears throat> like in my stepfather's case, coming from a communist country after the revolution and all the, the whole ordeal of him um, getting across into Austria uh, in a stolen, sold in a stolen army vehicle <laughs> with two other friends. But uh, um, yeah, I mean, we, we lose all of that importance of how valuable they are to us. Um, and that's why, you know, I'm, I try to explain that to young people when they come in for therapy and they start bashing their grandparents um, or sometimes they don't even know their grandparents and they're bashing them because their families have put them down for some reason or another. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so they've, they've lost out on the stories. They've lost out on their ancestry 
Um, another ritual is genealogy and learning about uh, your family history, how people's lives have been turned around from DNA. Um, I don't know about you, but in our family, we got an extra cousin uh, because of a DNA. Um, <clears throat> and there's a very funny story about finding out who she belonged to, but I won't get into that. But um, it's my, my cousin, um, Angie, she got a new sister who was her older sister. Wow. And, um, wow. and, or no, maybe she's the younger sister. Um, but anyways, it was just uh, that ritual right there of doing genealogy. She would never have known her real family if it weren't for that. Mm. Um, knowing that I'm a relative of Daniel Boone through his brother, mm. um, uh, doing the rich the ritual of genealogy recently because I'm trying to become I'm a prospective member for the Daughters of the American Revolution. Um, so all the rituals that are um, involved in that type of group, but also the the research that has to be done in order to prove your um, ancestry and prove that you actually are um, a, a descendant of somebody who was in the American Revolution. That's great. Yeah, so. So what else? Do we leave anything out at this point? I don't know, um, but we are on the hour. We're gonna be there in a few minutes. Um, so I think we've kind of touched base on so many different types of rituals right. and how they impact our community, uh, how they impact us as children with our stories. Um, so how should we wrap this up, Ellen? I don't know. Wise <laughs> Ellen always has the wonderful things to say. <laughs> uh, well, I think, um, Give us a juicy morsel. Hmm, let's see. So <clears throat> for us and for all of us that are together virtually while you're watching this, to enhance your self-appreciation by noticing what, what rituals you've participated in even less consciously and make them conscious and then make some decisions about continuing them with a fuller heart or to be open to enhanced meaning from them. And also to be open to creating some new rituals. And if you happen to be a grandparent who has an opportunity to start a relationship with a grandchild, that there are certain things that you can do uh, in a repeated way, whether it's reading stories or going to the park or something for the two of you uh, that can become a ritual that can anchor you both into richer meaning in your life. So That's wonderful. I love that. Um, so staying conscious of the rituals that you're involved in. Mm -hmm. And if you're doing any type of com coming of age um, moment, um, thinking about how you can orchestrate that coming of age moment oh. with your child, oh. with your grandchild, with your um, getting married, giving birth. Um, think about how you can make that a conscious ritual by um, putting it together in such a way that it's celebrating this life-changing moment. 
Mm. Um, and that's going to create memories. It does not need to cost money. It just needs to be something valuable that you make or that you say in that moment that is going to leave a, a sacred memory in people's minds about that ritual. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. So we'll see you next time. Tune in. If you haven't seen our other recordings, tune into our uh, YouTube channels and um, we'll see you next time. Thank you for coming and joining us. Bye-bye. Yes.